This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. Into the end zone for the touchdown. Hollywood Brown has been spectacular. Connor to the five and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Bring it on, bring it on. Touchdown, Saban Collins. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. I've long been a believer that reality is the best comedy. I thought you were going to say a believer in UFOs and aliens. Hey, where's that clip, Cody? Danny Sarek, Darren Urban. I mean, seriously, you know what? Those are, that's a, you're both off sides. You both jumped the snap count. I mean, honestly, you both just, you're in the neutral zone right off the bat here on Cardinals Underground. You know, I'm, I'm going to go with a hard count another time. I'm going to keep getting flags on the two of you for jumping what is na- not where I was going. Comedy is the best reality. Like you know, the, I'm, I'm feeling very Elijah Wilkinson right now. Paul. The 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 Giants, the Giants on prime time, four times already this season. Come on now, that's reality is the best comedy. They haven't even scored a touchdown in three plus games. Hey Paul, are you off off the couch here? <laughs> if the Cowboys, that was a solid line by uh, they, by Justin Pugh, yes, by the way. By the way, I'm going to guess Justin Pugh is going to go into the commercial real estate sector and he was going to be, you know, the next Wall Street tycoon. (laughs) Commercial real estate, not the time to go into that sector of the economy right now. So I think he went back to his football prowess. Do you have something to get off your chest with your own investments? No, I just uh, let's move it along. Yeah. um, (laughs) Comedy is the best. Reality is the best comedy. See now. Now. Now I'm screwing up the hard snap count here on Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation as I buy myself time. If the Cowboys, Danny Sarek, and Post Malone can team up to open up a, what was it, a Cowboys and Post Malone themed Raising Canes in Dallas? Wait, what? It looks Did you very see this, Darren? Cool. What the hell so are you talking about? First oh, all, you got to Google that up. You have to understand, there's a, there's a connection. Post Malone is, is a huge Cowboys fan. He has a song where he mentions Dak Prescott's That's name. That's too bad. I also, not when I was there, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, I believe at one point, um, his dad was an employee for the Cowboys in some facet. I don't think on the football side, hmm. but I th- I'm pretty sure that's a connection as well. So that's why there's he Post does, Malone Senior. Yes, that is what I he mean, is. Post called. Malone was never drafted sure. like Deuce Vaughn, was he? No, he was not. <laughs> yeah. well, right. There's a lot of questions I need to answer right now. Um, no, but this this Canes it looks so cool. The drive through is a big star that you drive through and it's it's not the normal branding of the colors like the colors on the outside and inside are all cowboys blue and it's lit up and it's got cowboys and post malone memorabilia inside i don't know where exactly it is like if it's close to their practice facility in frisco but it looks cool i mean how does jara and post malone come together on that that feels like somebody took a gummy and just went to work (laughs) that's right those aren't legal in texas darren so i doubt it nothing's legal in texas (laughs) except guns and if the stinking bears can currently hold the first two picks and not the cardinals then you know what we can most definitely podcast here on cardinals underground 
Once again, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. And if, if you're still with us, we appreciate you for sticking with us through <laughs> this wild the, open. Not so, just on you, Paul. It's so, just been... You know what? That intro wasn't just on me. That was all 11 that's of us. That's what I'm saying. Was, it was, it was, was all, all 11. 11 of us. Including they, Cody Fincher right. and Inclu- Jim Mohundra yeah. back there behind Especially the wall. Especially those go, two guys. for not providing the right coaching, play calling, and guidance. That's who I put it on. Obviously, we weren't prepared for a kickoff here on Cardinals Underground. That's That's really what it came down to. All right, let's boil it down. Have quarterback, will travel. What do the Cardinals have at quarterback right now in Josh Dobbs? Week one, okay, he had six days of practice. I get it. There was some up, there was some down, all to be expected. Weeks two through four, he got better every game. He had zero turnovers. He had a completion percentage of 71% weeks two through four. It looked pretty pretty good you know the whole Larry David and then the last two games the last two games okay uh, what are you looking at how much of it is Josh Dobbs as I define the question because I'm getting some befuddled looks here how much of it is the NFL catching up to Josh Dobbs now that there's four five six games worth of game film that's amazing since I asked Drew Petzing the same exact question. <laughs> See, I wasn't in there for that. We were on the no, Red Sea Report. I was telling Lorenzo Alexander how football works. I was giving him you know, the insight on the game itself. So what was the answer, Darren? Do tell because I was not there. A little of both, Paul. It was a little of both. A little that, of that was the both end. of what? The NFL catching up to him and oh, on Josh okay. Dobbs. Okay. I actually kind of feel the same way. I think not, not, not entirely the same way. Let me explain. Is it just on Josh Dobbs in terms of this team only having one win under their belt? No, right? I mean, you know, it's going to take everyone on the field. I I do think that Dobbs specifically has kept this team in the game more than once. Um, I think there's been enough opportunities for this offense to score points and to be more consistent throughout all four quarters of a game. Quarterback leads your offense, so... Fair or not, the quarterback takes the blame. And that's just how it works. And the lack of experience, although Dobbs is a longtime veteran, not a longtime starter. This is the most he's ever strung. Wing, this, this many starts is the most he's strung together in his career. He only had two starts before becoming an Arizona Cardinal. That experience, that lack of experience, I think is catching up in the sense that When you look at the rest of this offense, it's not consistent week after week. And I think the way that this offense is built right now, when it comes to more so the personnel, not necessarily the scheme, you need a quarterback who is going to elevate your players. You need a healthy Kyler Murray out there that's going to elevate your players. That's just the position that this Cardinals offense is in when you're looking at how this team is currently built. To no fault of his own, that lack of experience, I don't think that's the type of quarterback that Josh Dobbs is. And so when you have, whether that is simply on Dobbs and the lack of accuracy with those overthrown balls or throwing Hollywood Brown out of bounds Sunday in L.A., maybe that's more chemistry, right? Thinking about Zach Ertz and, and how that target hasn't been reliable the way we've seen Zach Ertz in the past. You need a quarterback that's going to make the players around you better. And I just think that... This offense as a whole isn't clicking enough, and so when you don't have a quarterback with that much experience and and as as much talent as someone like Kyler Murray, it makes it difficult trying to make things work when you don't have all these superstars and all these places you know that that can get by with a quarterback like Dobbs. Can I throw a third factor into the equation? Maybe just maybe if they would have had an entire offseason 
maybe even a training camp, maybe even a preseason game together. Perhaps there'd be better chemistry and connection, perhaps. Here's here's the thing. There's definitely been some plays where chemistry would have helped. But let's take one play, for instance. The out-of-bounds throw. How is, that's, how is that chemistry? Yeah. That, that has nothing to do with chemistry. That's accuracy. That's, that's just plain accuracy. And the, the reality is, is when you look at uh, a couple of the photos by our very talented photographer, Caitlin, um, Hollywood Brown was way past them. Like, there's no chance that defender makes that play if that ball is inbounds. None. Is that why the tweet came out? Separation from Hollywood Brown? Is no, that what I, he's I talking about? One. I think mm. with the tornado emoji, right? Right. So separation is what he tweeted out. And there was separation between each letter just to emphasize the separation that I presume he meant that's what he's getting because that's three times in the last two games. There was the first quarter against Cincinnati and then the two missed deep shots where he was behind the secondary yet again at L.A. So, And there's very real frustration on that sideline. I can tell you that. And so um, well, there was real frustration from Hollywood in the locker room. And not just that. The interception was behind Zach Ertz. That's how the interception happened was he right. put his hand out behind him and, and tried to at least grab it and ended up tipping it to the Rams defender. By the way, we wondered on the air, is there a chance that because the Rams run mostly zone coverages that Zach Ertz was supposed to settle down in the zone, supposed to stop his route and had a chance to talk to a couple of coaches about that? No. No, he ran the right route. He, he was that crosser, that drag he was running was a clear out, and he was supposed to stay on the run. So it was just a, a missed throw. That's essentially what happened right there. And, and I guess the question now is, all right, what are the chances there's, there's upside, there's a chance to evolve, improve the accuracy? That was a question to Jonathan Gannon on Monday here of Week 7. And his answer went something along the lines of, well, yeah, you, you can work on – your drop back and throwing off the proper rhythm and you know increased reps with the receivers you know odds are though let's be honest we've all seen enough football over enough years that you're not going to get a huge jump in accuracy especially during the course of a season no not I, to, typically to me your accuracy to me has always been a gift rather than a talent that you hone that's how I've always kind of seen it. You can get a little bit better, don't get me wrong. Uh, and there are factors that go into like completion percentage. I get all that. But in terms of a guy being relatively accurate, I just I think you're born with it. Here's the other thing. Um, they've given him a run game. Obviously, Cardinals went into Week 7 at L.A. with the most rushing yards as a team in Cardinals history since 1988. They were top five in most rushing metrics. They didn't have James Conner, but they still ran for a buck 30, 4.3 yards a carry. Now, two of the biggest runs were obviously the quarterback himself, a 20 and 24 yard run. And by the way, when Josh Dubs does pull it and run it, it's worth your money. I mean, it is remarkable what he's able to accomplish with his legs. It is a mind blow on the sideline for the Cardinals. There are a lot of guys looking at each other like, man, I didn't realize he had that under the hood, including a lot of the coaches, which is, it's, I can tell you, so many of those guys had no idea how fast Josh Dobbs is, and I think a lot of the defenses are still figuring that out the hard way. But beyond that, what about his pass protection? Because he got sacked twice, he got hit 10 times, he got harassed quite a bit. Two games in a row now, he's been hit from the backside, strip sacks. Uh, so you know, he didn't have a chance, basically, even Lorenzo Alexander said in that very chair, Darren, a few hours ago that there isn't a single quarterback in the league who doesn't fumble 
that ball getting hit yeah. untouched from the backside. So, okay, I mean, some of this is on the quarterback. Obviously, we know how it works. Too much of the blame, too much of the credit. But if you can, especially against Seattle, which is an ultra hyper-aggressive defense, they're going to be in your face. All the receivers are going to get press man for the most part. Um, guess what? They're, they're going to have to figure it out. And so I don't know how much did Drew Petzing answer as to how much they have to go back to the drawing board, if at all, and evolve? I, I didn't – you're not getting that – I don't think you're going to get that from this team. And, and, look, you talk about the pass protection. I, I think this offensive line in a lot of ways is built as a run-blocking unit, and they got to figure out the pass protection a little bit. And, you know, there have been a couple of hiccups. You know, DJ Humphreys had a couple of hiccups. Um, you know, Paris Johnson is still learning, that kind of thing. We saw Dennis Daly for the first time at left guard for 19 snaps, I think it was, uh, as he shares with Elijah Wilkinson. Um, but it's the same offensive line that was doing good things against the Giants and the Cowboys. And, yep. uh, and, and so I, I'm not sure what exactly has happened, especially in this game. Like, I kind of understand the Bengals a little bit, but... The Rams game was disappointing. I, I understand what kind of ha- what happened on the defensive side of the ball, but to, to kind of have it unravel offensively, even without James Conner, I was I was a little surprised about. And without James Conner, I do wonder how effective the play action is. Cardinals had led the league in play action percentage going into that Rams game, but when you have the threat of a two-time Pro Bowl running back getting the ball, you know, a front seven's much more likely to react to James Conner than a backup running back. So are you still keeping defenses honest? with the play action if Connor isn't in there. I also think it's it's harder to find that rhythm. With James Connor, it's JC all the way. This isn't a supplemental running back's room where even prior to his injury, since this was Keontae Ingram's first game back after missing two games with a neck injury, it wasn't like we were seeing Ingram sub in pretty consistently. It was really just whenever Connor needed a break. Now that has to completely change with how the rest of the running backs room is situated. And now you're going to a committee approach. And I think that affects, too, obviously, the, you know, how efficient you are in the run game because you don't have that rhythm. And so now you've got Keonta Ingram and then it was Damian Williams. And the prior week it was Amari DiMercato handling the load essentially by himself when Connor left the game with that knee injury. So it's interesting how they're going to adjust that part of the run game moving forward of DiMercato didn't really get a lot of looks. So is this something now going into Seattle? Is it going to be more even between the three? Or is Amari DiMercato going to climb his way up and it's going to be him and Ingram? Like that'll be something really interesting to keep your eye on is how they use these running backs differently this week. And based on what Jonathan Gannon told the media, there is going to be a different rotation this week. He dropped that in Monday, and then he reiterated the same thing on his TV show this week that might not necessarily be the same rotation or set of snaps for each running back that you saw against the Rams. We'll see how that materializes. Well, and the thing is, is DiMarcado played the most snaps. He just didn't have any touches, uh, which I thought was really interesting. Um you know, obviously he's a third down back and they trust him as a pass protector more than Keontae Ingram, but he played the most. He just wasn't getting the ball at all. I do wonder how impressed Jonathan Gannon was by Damian Williams because there were a couple of times in the sideline where he made a beeline down the white stripe and gave Damian Williams a high five as he came off the field. So I'm curious if that's what he means, if maybe the new guy is going to get some more touches. I, I don't know. I didn't think Ingram played that poorly, no, though. No, I didn't either. When he got a chance there to just seems it. to be a trend where he gets hit in the backfield more than any other running back. You know, not, I was thinking not that. Is it, the, fault, is it the plays being 
called? Is it more so blocking? I, I don't know. Did he fail to pick up a dinner check and the guys aren't blocking <laughs> for him? You know, like, what, what's going on? It seems like there's more penetration when he gets the ball than any other running back. I know this was asked uh, Tuesday to Petzing, and, and I believe from hearing from enough running backs over the years, I really do think that's a position where you get more comfortable the more times you get hit. That was something that we even heard from James Conner when you're going through training camp and preseason, you're not getting hit a lot, is you kind of want to get hit. You want to get used to that feeling. And maybe this is a situation where because Ingram wasn't getting a lot of looks prior to the injury and then this was his first game back and now it's more of that committee approach, maybe he just needs to kind of get a, a, another game or two under his belt, constantly getting these reps to just kind of get comfortable and, and get back to really that that Minnesota game in the preseason that he looked so good in. Yeah. No, and, and he is a bigger guy. He, he can wear down a defense. I mean, he's a guy that if you do give him those snaps, like you mentioned, third, fourth quarter, it might pay off for him, maybe. Um, I mean, at Texas, he said he was 240 pounds plus. Now he's more like around 220. So he's been up and down with his weight based on whether he was more of a blocking back. And then he was the feature back at USC. He said he got into like 218 or something. So his weight's been up and down. It's pretty interesting how he's done that. Before we get to Kyler, and we will get to Kyler, Tell us about Hollywood Brown, Darren, and and the open media after the game in L.A. Because I wasn't around for that session. When you say he was frustrated, I mean, what what did he tell the media? I want to talk about Hollywood. I want to talk about Michael Wilson a little bit because every time he seems to get a target, good things happen. You know, give us your assessment of the receiver rotation. There still seems like there's room for Rondell Moore to be emphasized, right, to a greater degree. So just go ahead and attack those three. I mean – I thought Hollywood played well against the Rams. Obviously, we talked about the two really big misses that would have been, in my opinion, they both were touchdowns. Um, Agreed. I mean... And you know, maybe the Rams don't even run the ball in the second half if you have a big lead. Yeah. So, I got to to Hollywood. I don't know. My understanding was he only talked to one other media member. There was no scrum at any point. I When I got him, it was when it first opened. I was the only one there. He was kind of looking into his locker with his head down. He still had his game pants on and he was clearly not in a good place and I just asked him if he had a second and I asked him first about the missed plays and and he basically said which kind of makes me think of that tweet where he's like I feel like they're there and I'm I'm getting the separation I need we we need I guess we need more time in practice and then I said I asked him about the frustration of dominating that first half and not getting to where he is and he just kind of paused and he's like he goes frankly I'm just tired of losing and we got to get this fixed and that was the first I mean obviously guy I haven't talked to everybody after every loss and I know there by guy have been guys that have been frustrated especially after that Giants game but that was the first time I really felt like okay even the players are well beyond the hey we're yeah. it doesn't matter if if we win or lose as long as we're improving and all that stuff that's where it really kind of felt harsh and with somebody like hollywood i look i don't know what's going to happen but the the trade deadline is halloween you know our it, spooky season darren uh, you know do you think about moving along from him do you think about uh, if you're not going to re-sign him or you don't seriously think you're going to re-sign him maybe you try and get a pick for him and if you're Team Hollywood, you're in a contract year. Yep. So each one of these missed deep shots, you're seeing missed dollar signs, right? Here's my thing is is if we're talking about hypotheticals, 
trading away Hollywood Brown for assets. At some point, you have to have enough players out on the field to really give yourself a chance to win. And even though, right, we're not going to hear it from the people in this building, and understandably so, this this team, this organization is in a transition year. But this isn't a situation where they are tanking. They're not trying to lose. And if Hollywood Brown is your one consistent, reliable receiver out there, and you're not going to get somebody else that can at least supplement what you would be missing from him at some point look I am all for and I I have said before that I you can feel the hope that things are turning around from top to bottom not just in the front office but with the coaching staff and the culture they are building and, and how things are looking on the field at some point you can't just have draft picks at some point you have to have players out here and you have to have weapons for when Kyler Murray comes back and so while I can see both sides of if this team does decide to trade away Hollywood Brown at some point, you need more than just future draft picks. Well, I, I agree in, in general, but in, in this particular case, again, if I'm anticipating this team is going to sign a few free agents next year. They're going to have to. So the chance of you getting a comp pick for Hollywood Brown is probably not real high, even if he signs a big contract, because it'll be offset by the free agents you sign. Which means if you want to get a any kind of asset for Hollywood Brown potentially walking out the door, then you have to do it now. I look, I understand what you're saying, but No, I, I get that with Hollywood being in a contract year. I understand. I think maybe right now and, and this is obviously I don't know what's gonna happen in the future, but right now you're sitting here thinking, yeah, it makes a lot of sense to keep Hollywood Brown. Well, there's a couple other dynamics. Number one, he's besties with your quarterback. He's really close with Kyler Murray. What does that mean? Anything? Does that factor into the equation, into the consideration as to whether he's a long-term Cardinal or not? Maybe not just that they're best friends, but the connection in chemistry. Yep. I mean, think about it. Before he got hurt at Seattle, which is where the Cardinals are going, when he got hurt last year going against Tariq Woolen at the very end of that game on a pass that really shouldn't have been thrown because... He was covered. Um, he was top seven in catches and receiving yeah. yards. He, he was having an unbelievable season to start last year. Don't don't get me don't get it confused. I if you're just talking about keeping a good player, that's Hollywood Brown. I wouldn't trade him. The only reason I would think about trading him is because if you, if you've already kind of th- said to yourself. I don't see a path to us re-signing him next year. Maybe you can get an asset. I mean, I understand what Danny's saying too, but we're also I assume at some point we're going to talk about Michael Wilson needing to get more targets, and you already have Rondale Moore, and you have Greg Dorch, who, I mean, he's not the same player by any stretch of the imagination as Hollywood Brown, in my opinion. But it's not. I don't know if it's that far off for what he might be able to do. I, I don't know. I'm just saying you you might be able to make it work for half a season if you can get a pick and and I I the Murray thing is being friends with Kyler is is an interesting thing it would be absolutely wild to me if it somehow they ended up dealing Hollywood Brown before Kyler made it back to the field yeah that would be something there's no and again question. I don't know if this is going to don't happen know. I mean they might make no but, trades but you're right if if the business end of it has already been decided that you know it's not feasible or not realistic, they get a deal done, then you got to trade the known for the unknown. At the very least, you, you got to wait till March, you know, to really get a sense, perhaps, if he wants to test free agency, whether you can bring it back, what's it going to cost you. 
we do know that Jonathan Gannon has a ton of respect for Hollywood Brown, both as a person and a player. He said it on and off the record. When he was a defensive coordinator, Gannon, guys like Hollywood Brown scared the dog out of him. Like, just the speed. How many guys can consistently get behind NFL secondaries? Like, Dorch is ultra quick, yeah. but he's not ultra fast. Like, he's not an ultra burner like a Hollywood Brown. He's consistently getting behind corners. And to some degree, I mean, it's not just Hollywood Brown that you have to start looking ahead and, and thinking about those things now. I mean, a couple months, we're going to end up talking about Buda Baker again. And I know I'm not trying to take us too far off the rails, but when you're having to make this decision before the trade deadline of what does the future for somebody like Hollywood Brown look like, do we want to resign him? Knowing what a receiver will look for, will ask for, is that going to be realistic? Is that going to be in our realm, knowing the other pieces that may or may not be important for us to either resign or get in free agency? So I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I see that point of if you're going to get something for Hollywood, now would be the time. It'll just be interesting to see what moves, if any, this front office makes. And these are the decisions that make me very happy that I am not in the position to make those decisions. So Mark Keese, Hollywood Brown, it's hard not to notice when you look at the box score. He had four catches on 11 targets. Let that hang in the air for a minute. Michael, there, was a, there was a few Larry Fitzgerald days in the mid-2010s yeah. yep. that he would have 11 yep. targets for four catches. Yep. Facts. Uh, Michael Wilson, three catches at nearly 21 yards per catch. So that would seem to scream. Get him more than four targets, right? Is that what you want to talk about, Darren, right? I mean, that, that's... I mean... We are, we're in agreement on that, aren't we? I would think six targets in two weeks for a guy that is showing a lot right now. I mean, I, I've been really impressed with Michael Wilson. And and again, he, you know, he I was talking to him last week about it. This is part of the wide receiver game. There's going to be days where you're not targeted a lot. But um, I do think he's a playmaker, and it, it feels like they could exploit that a little bit more. We heard all that talk about Puka Nakua and how Cooper Cup had taught him well, and there's a lot of similarities between the, between the two of them. They're really good advanced route runners. They're great at the point of attack. Hey, that's Michael Wilson. I mean, he's made some really contested physical catches uh, in key moments of games. So you got to figure, okay, more targets there. Uh, what are they going to do with Rondell Moore uh, to get him involved a little bit more? And then uh, as you move along, you got to look at tight end. Speaking of snaps and weapons and pass targets, and it's hard not to notice that Trey McBride got about 10 more snaps than Zach Ertz. So do you expect that trend to continue, Danny? I think uh, some of that answer depends on the same hypothetical of Hollywood Brown with Zach Ertz. Is that a realistic or intriguing trade for both the Cardinals and maybe another team out there? That's a question. It's been interesting seeing Zach Ertz's production this year. Is that a combination of he's having to kind of get comfortable being back at the, being back out there and, and only starting to practice coming off his ACL injury just before the season started? Although Ertz has said he feels comfortable and feels good. Is it chemistry with Dobbs? Will things look very different when Kyler Murray's back at, back out there because of how quickly Murray and Ertz formed their connection? We, he was traded. Almost exactly what a year ago, two years ago, two years ago, two two years yep, ago, two years not ago, not a year yep. ago, two years ago. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if Kyler Murray comes back before the trade deadline and and how Zach Ertz fits into that. This is what you want to see out of Trey McBride, though. Now in year two, getting more of those reps, you want to start seeing the progression of him, not just as a catching tight end, but also as a blocker. And that was something this coaching staff 
challenged him with. That's something that McBride has said he has leaned on Jeff Swaim as a veteran, more of a blocker than an Ertz. Um, and so I like that you see every week, it kind of seems like you see a little bit more of Trey McBride. And even if he's not getting a ton of looks, it seems like he is reliable and consistent when he is getting those targets. And look, we, we can very clearly see the trend with this staff, which is if you've got multiple players at the same position and one of them is younger and you're trying to build for the future, it's more likely than not that's the player that's going to really get those looks. Once again, we go back to the offseason and even training camp, right? If you're building for the future, well, the future is now. Meaning if you're a young guy, you're going to get every shot at the job. Keytrell Clark, you got every shot, every single opportunity to nail down that starting cornerback position. Now, it's one of the few rookies where he hasn't had staying power, and we'll see what his future is. But two things on Trey McBride. Number one, I do like the fact that very rarely does he go down on first contact. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I like that, you know, and he's physical enough. He's elusive enough. He's able to get yards after the catch, which at this point, coming off the injury, you're not getting a lot out of Zach Ertz, yards after the catch from Zach Ertz. And if you're telling me that, okay, T-minus two weeks until the trade deadline of October 31st, you go into the Rams game, you say, eh, what's it like if we feature Trey McBride? What if Trey McBride was our number one pass target as a tight end what would that look like in a real game so guess what we're going to give him 10 or 12 more snaps than Zach Ertz and we're going to feature him flex him out a little bit more use him in a Zach Ertz type of role as more of a pass catcher instead of a dual tight end and let's see how that goes and four catches for 62 yards he was a factor so maybe you're trying to get a sense what would it look like in your offense if if you were to entertain one of these calls for Zach Ertz because I think we all presume that teams are calling about about Ertz and although it might still be a process coming back from the knee injury you know you got to figure by the time you get to December December and January football a guy who has a Super Bowl ring like Zach Ertz you know he could really contribute to a contender so we'll see we'll see how that goes and then of course the big question drum roll place who will be throwing who will be throwing that ball right to these to these uh, targets that we're talking about are we just talking down the line that's exactly the question, Danny. <laughs> when? Well, no, that is when? not a question. When? Those are two different questions of when and who is throwing this week, Paul. Okay, here's an educated guess. <laughs> here's an educated guess. Based on the fact, nothing more than the fact that Jonathan Gannon hasn't completely shut down the questions about Kyla Murray this week. It's had a little bit, there's a little bit different temperature in the room when the Kyler question is asked. <laughs> if he was to come off pop this week and then take the full allotment of three weeks to get ready, then his first game could be Atlanta Week 10 at home. When it comes to answering questions about Kyler Murray, I think back to Week 1, where the fact that this team made a trade for a quarterback who was going to get his first look out on a, a field in a, in a game with this team, uh, with Josh Dobbs after training camp and preseason – and then despite making that decision, we were still told until game time on week one in Washington that uh, it wasn't announced who was going to be the starting quarterback. Makes me believe that we won't find out. Same with Kyler. So when you're asking about like, oh, well, he's answering the questions about Kyler coming off pop. Well, yeah, it was pretty much the same kind of response. We were asking if it was going to be Josh Dobbs or Clayton Toon heading into Washington week one. So I'm not really taking much when we're getting those types of answers from Jonathan Gannon, 
it is interesting though because you can kind of feel like the timing is getting pretty close from seeing Kyler out on the field, similar to kind of Garrett Williams of maybe they're not doing as much rehab because now they're spending more time out at practice watching, not practicing because he can't on pop, but at least watching. Um, you just kind of get the feeling too of how long he's been rehabbing and, and the timing that it would make sense for Kyler Murray to come back. It will be a lot of question marks of when he is activate or elevated off the pup are they going to take the full three weeks because it's not likely that the same week he comes off and starts practicing he's going to be able to play that's that just doesn't seem based on what we saw from Zach Ertz based on kind of from getting from Gannon of you know he's going to have his own timetable how, how do you how does he not take the full three weeks I'm right. I'm, I would like to know the scenario. It, maybe it takes two weeks. Maybe you activate him after two weeks of practice instead of waiting the full three. But but my my argument would be how do you how are you out for nearly a year and practice for six practices and you're not getting all the reps probably and then be ready to play. Not that three would be that much better. I don't understand how he wouldn't take the full complement after being out that long. Yeah, I, I presume he'll be taken the full three weeks. That's my presumption. Well, then at least if we get to that point, we know heading into that final yeah. week of whether or right. not he will likely be activated. He would I, be on the roster. On the ro- Okay, fine. On the roster. Yeah. But even I mean, still... Um, it's it's not just the ACL he, and the meniscus or the mental challenge of coming back from your first serious injury. And as a elite athlete who runs a legit 4-3, having to trust that leg, it's... Beyond all that, it's also a new offense and a new system and essentially something he's never run before in his entire career. He led the league last year in shotgun snaps. Jalen Hurts was a close second, but he's not accustomed to being under center on a regular basis. And unless they're going to change this offense radically to fit Kyler Murray, he's the one who's going to have to change. Absolutely. And there's going to be some some bit of a learning curve. My thing, though, to Darren's point real quick of if you're going to have him on the roster but have him inactive... If that's the case, why would you take him off the pup list if you don't think within three weeks he'll be ready to play a game? Why? I mean, just just to for, keep for, having practicing. Yeah, for me, it would be he's now gotten to the point where he might not be ready to play, but you've got to get him doing something besides rehabbing on the side with Buddy Morris, and he can't do any of that unless he's opened the practice window. So, I, I, I'm not I'm not saying he won't play after two weeks or three weeks. But I'm I'm not completely closed off to the idea that his practice window could open and we would still be a month or a little bit more than that away from him playing just because you want to make sure he's totally ready. I don't know. Probably not. I mean, he probably plays after the three weeks or whatever, but I'm not closing the door to anything because you do have the option of having in, inactive quarterbacks. I mean, the reality is, is if he comes back to play – they're going to have three quarterbacks on the roster, and Clayton Toon's going to be that third quarterback dressing emergency quarterback probably, and or maybe you make Kyler that whatever. But like, and Clayton Toon's still protected under that new rule, correct? He's not on the practice squad and subject to be signed off. No, the no, no. If you're that third you, quarterback, you're no, because you you have to be on the roster, right? So it has nothing gotcha. to do with the okay. practice squad. It's just the game day. That's right. It's just, yeah, the, it's game just day the game day status. So you you you're going to have a third quarterback who is not going to be truly active. So that could be Kyler for a game or two. Really? Because I thought Danny was about to say that they're cutting my Jay Sanders to create a roster spot for Kyler Murray. Oh, I might have just put words in your mouth. 
I wasn't going to go that far per se, but no. yes, uh, breaking news as of us recording this podcast, the Cardinals have waived Myjay Sanders, who didn't even play a snap this year. He was 2022 third round draft pick, was recently elevated off, taken off IR with a thumb injury. and Designated had, to return, not technically sorry. off IR. Designated to return. Sorry. He was still on IR. Okay, designated to return, didn't play a snap because of that thumb injury. So we only saw him practice a handful of times, and he just entered a really crowded position room. Okay, that's part of it, probably. Part of it. Part, part of, of it. it. Care to speculate what else was? Yeah, I think that this is a new staff, and I think maybe that the players that they have right now that are getting that rotation, they like what they have, and maybe maybe – whether that's the physical aspects or the game part of it, of, of mentally what they're seeing from him or just the way he plays, maybe it just doesn't fit this style of what this coaching staff is looking for. I mean, he's a third-round pick from last year. You know, you, so I would figure, unless, unless it was a new staff, a new set of decision-makers, both in the front office and as the head coach, he'd still be on this roster. There'd still be... A possibility for him to make a second or third impression, whatever didn't happen, he'd be given an opportunity to remedy that. All I know is the last half of last season, his rookie campaign, when he did play, we called his name quite a bit. There were times where he was productive. He was disruptive. So I'm curious. I'm really curious. I'll say this much. And I asked David Collins this, Danny, when we were doing Big Red Rage, right? And I've asked this to probably a dozen players now. As we try and figure out what Monty Asenfort and Jonathan Gannon are looking for in terms of the identity of this roster going forward, the one thing we can all agree on is they are looking for players who are serious about the game of football. Not just showmen, or I'm here, you know, to borrow the phrase from Dan Landing up in Oregon, we're not here for the clicks, we're not here just to show off our athleticism or our alternate gear, uniforms, or be great on social media. No, no. We're looking for dudes who are serious about football, who get up every day, and the first thing they think about is football and not necessarily the paycheck. And I think it's that mindset they're looking for. And if you're looking at some of the cuts that they've made over the course of 2023, I'm guessing, I'm speculating that a lot of those players didn't fit those qualifications. Well, let's not just say cuts, right? Letting players walk yep. or trades. Trades, yeah. Even cuts after like the 49ers game where Chris Boyd and Christian Matthew, gone. So maybe there were guys who were given second and third warnings about trying to you know meet the expectations of this new staff and it wasn't done I'm not exactly sure Darren I mean if you were to guess as to first off Darren were you surprised that my Jay Sanders was released I know I was to a certain degree honestly no um I do think that the injury that got him onto IR probably I felt like it bought some time um I'm not 100% sure he makes this team if he stays healthy and coming out of training camp interesting so I'm I'm not totally shocked, to be honest. And you're loaded. I mean, Jesse Lucetta was in sweats, was not active for the game against the Rams. So, although he did was dealing with a so, shoulder injury, so is that what it was? It's yeah. He, okay. He got added to the injury report late, so I'm gotcha. wondering if that's okay. why he was inactive. Okay. I wondered about that. All right. So all right, and, and, and you know they want they want B.J. Ojolari to step up 
and command more snaps, right? Zayvon Collins was working with B.J. Ojolari last week. Heck, my Jay Sanders met the media a week ago and said he'd been working extra, working overtime with B.J. Ojolari. So, I don't know, but at least those two guys had a pretty high opinion of the talent that B.J. Ojolari is, that he's still raw, but that he's a really talented guy with tons of upside. Whether we really see it come to fruition this year, I'm not exactly sure because his whole offseason was impacted by a couple of different injuries. I don't know, but maybe by December, number 18 is a factor. Well, also, too, when it was when Sanders returned to practice and Gannon was asked about it, he had said like he, he needed to get his football lungs under him. It's, it's not the same conditioning if you're rehabbing than going out and practicing or playing a game. And the Cardinals are going to have some moves that they're going to have to make to get guys that have been on IR, on the pup list, back on the roster, right? Buda Baker, yep. who has now missed his minimum four games on IR with his hamstring. In a few weeks, I know it's looking down the line, but if James Conner is able to come back, you got to find room for Kyler Murray. If you don't feel like you're really going to get anything from IJ Sanders, maybe in the long run, if you're wondering if he's the right fit, and then even in the short term, if he's still not conditioned... Why would you, when you have that window that could be closing in on you to take him off IR, why would you use a spot on that if, if you're not thinking that's a good fit when you're going to have other players you're going to need spots for? And you're going to need a spot for Garrett Williams at some point, right? That would be correct. All these guys are eventually going to need spots. Now, you know, Buda Baker's on IR. Does he come off this week? Uh, do they open their window? Does he actually come on the roster? Kyler Murray, we already talked about, even – even if he came off as early as this week for his practice window, they're not going to need a roster spot for another week or two. Um, so those Garrett Williams, now that's he's running out of time. That he's got to be put on the active roster by next week, my next Wednesday. So that that's probably coming sooner rather than later. But um, I do think that these are things that you got to figure out. And again, this goes back to how many guys you have inactive on. Sundays. I mean, if you bring up two guys from the practice squad anyways, that just means you have five inactives instead of seven. It's really not that big of a deal. Gotcha. They're, they're fortunate enough where, or in, unfortunate, depending on your, your thought process, where you, they've had guys who are so hurt they have to go on IR so they can replace them on the roster. You don't have a bunch of guys that are dinged up just enough to not go on IR but have to be inactive on game days so that you're, you, you can't just be sitting here with empty roster spots. Hmm. Okay. All right. So uh, do we get a sense as to whether Garrett Williams is tracked? Not only Buda Baker going back home to Seattle. Not sure if you guys have a gut feeling on that one. I tend to think that we might see Buda this week. I think there's a decent chance because we all know that he's... Danny, how do you feel about that? He circles this game more than any other on the schedule. Buda Baker? And considering the Cardinals cornerback situation right now, Antonio Hamilton, unknown status, coming off his injury against the Rams. They could use Garrett Williams, even if he you know, is sort of a nickel-slash-corner hybrid along with some safety duties. I don't know. But you think Garrett Williams make his debut this week? I mean, it'd be I, great timing considering the injury to Antonio Hamilton, although we don't know. He might be tracking to play. We have no idea. I've, I think that's pretty doable. I think I, I'm just curious of how you get Garrett Williams involved. Do you start him outside as a cornerback since Keetrell Clark, for whatever reason, is not starting, is not getting as many snaps with Hamilton? We don't know if that's an injury, that groin injury is going to keep him out. Do you put Garrett Williams outside? 
Do you put him inside to get, you know, a few snaps to kind of get him comfortable and, and see how he performs? Maybe inside at nickel, slot corner, one of those spots, which is where we have, we've seen Garrett Williams in the few practices that he's been out there during the media portions that he's been taking reps with the safeties. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm curious to see how they get him integrated. I do think that it would be a huge help to the secondary to get some more bodies out there and, and hopefully somebody, look, Garrett Williams, high draft grades, not just from Cardinals, but it was really that injury that made teams a little hesitant. So if he can come out and he can play the way that he was in college, that could be a huge help, especially if you're going to get Buda Baker back, who just having him on the field alone and, and how much he absorbs in terms of mistakes and kind of fixing those, I think could give a little bit of relief to the cornerbacks. I mean, you just need capable bodies right now, right? I, I mean, you, you take a Garrett Williams, you throw him out there, you run cover two, cover three, you keep it simple. I mean, you got to go against DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and the first round rookie, Jackson Smith and Jigba, right, uh, out of Ohio State, uh, although he's had a really slow start to his rookie year. But they have weapons, and then those two running backs in Seattle, you know Seattle's going to come out based on what the Cardinals put on film in the second half against the Rams. And they're going to feature Kenneth Walker and the rookie Zach Charbonnet. And those two guys will stoke it. And that Seattle offensive line has been struggling in pass protection. They've been banged up. So why put Geno at risk if you can run it 45 times against the Cardinals? So I'm guessing... Seattle, even though Shane Waldron comes from the Sean McVay tree, I'm guessing they come out and they're, they're going to definitely probe that front seven and see, okay, can we get our running backs to the second level untouched like the Rams were able to do in the second half last week? I mean, that only makes sense, doesn't it, Paul? Sure, absolutely. I mean, now, the, 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 the interesting part, it doesn't look like it's going to rain during the game, Paul. You got really? that going for you? That? It's, really? That's be not what Danny told me yesterday. I see fear-mongering by Danny over there. Oh, man, Danny. That's unfortunate. I don't know why you do that to Paul. But it, it, it'll be chillier than it normally is. High of 56. Wasn't lying to you about that yeah. either, Paul. Yeah. Well, what I what I say to Darren, you? Darren, Darren, he's going to be in the press box the whole day. So don't listen to Darren about Drinking weather. Drinking my press box yeah. Uh, yeah. lattes. Yeah, that's right. Pash, Wolf, and Darren up there in the climate control. We get it. Here's the thing. Never, ever trust any of the weather reports until at least late Friday for a Sunday game in Seattle. Okay? I mean, come on. The margin of error at this point in the week is extreme. So... I'm not buying that until we get to at least late Friday. As for our weather, by the way, can somebody do something about the fact that to start this week on Monday, we set a stinking high for the record for the day all time, 105. Our roof is never going to be open at State Farm Stadium this year. It's going to be too hot all year. Come on. I'm I'm mentally drained. You know what would be a fun game for us to do? It would be to create the ideal Olympics flag football team. From players around the league. I mean, maybe that maybe we push it off to the offseason. Maybe that's not something we do during the season yeah, that, as I'm that, that, having this idea come out in real time. But that could be a fun exercise because, you know, that's going to be an Olympic I'm sport okay now. I'm that one. We could do that. You know what else would be fun? How about a game in Spain or Brazil? Do you see the news out this week that the NFL and Roger Goodell confirms that they could have a brand new international market as soon as next year? So that would mean pretty much every team would be traveling internationally at that point every I mean, year. They're, they're, they are ramping up international games. And Roger Goodell told some sort of forum uh, on this topic that they have every intention of making the NFL a, quote, global sport. In fact, here it is. We intend to be a global sport. <laughs> Darren, how's your yeah. Spanish? Uh, pretty lousy these days. 
And by the way, they say that uh, there's some huge soccer stadium. I think it's in Madrid. Yes, Madrid that just finished massive renovations, including a retractable field tray where they can take out a soccer field and put in an NFL football field. So it would look a little different than the stadium in Mexico City. And and the Steelers, by the way, are they're trying they're all in on trying to get a game in Dublin. And if you remember 10 years ago, there was speculation that because the Rooney family, the Bidwell family are close, that if a Steelers game in Ireland ever happened, maybe, just maybe, dot, 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 the opponent might be the Arizona Unfortunately, Cardinals. Unfortunately, the Cardinals play the Steelers this year, so that, oh, we, don't, we wouldn't right. play them for another six years. Dang. Can they flex a game to Dublin? No. Can you flex out the Giants? That's what I want to Six know. Six years? Just flex the Giants out of the... Uh, I thought it was four. You know. Maybe it is four. Uh, it would be four. Uh, so. I wouldn't mind. I'm going to Ireland next summer, though. So You are? For I what? Am. We weren't invited. At least I wasn't invited. Maybe well, Paul it's, was. it's my 30th wedding anniversary, Danny. Did you really want Whoa. to tag along? Oh, wow. No, I'm okay. Yeah, Thank that's you, though, for the invite. Well, you know. So, I, I just... I find the whole international thing intriguing, though. You know? It's... Uh, and then they're looking at Rio. They're looking at Brazil. I mean, that's going to happen, supposedly, at some point. So maybe not in my career, Danny, but in yours. <laughs> Let's put it that way, okay? Let's put it that way. I'll be playing shuffleboard at that point. So, you packing your rain boots? You don't, have, you don't strike me as someone who has rain boots for this weekend. I do have boots. Um, should have got some new boots in the offseason. It just occurred to me that um it's not too late paul they're not exactly waterproof as i found out the hard way and uh we we've got some some games coming up here we've got at chicago at cleveland at philly at pittsburgh along with seattle no not Bruce. good i told paul at our desk the other day darren you know you're not allowed to have an umbrella on the sideline no so i wonder if this Never. breaks the rule of if paul could get by with the hat that is the umbrella okay. on top of it you, you know, know like what? you wear it on your and i'm thinking maybe that doesn't break the rules you know what it does do, though? It wraps up this edition <laughs> of Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. Umbrella hat on the sideline? 